NBA free agency is set. The draft is set. It's going to be a true frenzy this offseason. And I don't think anyone other than LeBron James is complaining. This is On The Rise Podcast, Season 2. Listen now on all major platforms as well as midtownradio.ca weekends at 10 a.m. Welcome your host, Sam Donzik and Evan Brown. Welcome to episode 28 of the On The Rise Podcast. It's hot out of the oven. The NBA and the Union announced the start of free agency as November 20th. So, uh, what teams should be the most aggressive? Which teams don't need to kind of do anything? And uh, what's one trade that you would kind of want to see happen, Sam? I think the teams that need to be most aggressive, I would say probably the Philadelphia 76ers need to be aggressive. And I know, I know they've, been, they've been in talks with being aggressive and kind of possibly getting James Harden to them, to the 76ers, which would be interesting. Another team that I think is going to be, have to be aggressive is the Milwaukee Bucks. And the reason why I say that is that Giannis Antetokounmpo isn't getting the help that he needs. And really, with the current help that he has, isn't enough. So they've been talking, obviously, possibly getting CP3 over there. And what's that like? So I think those kind of two teams need to be aggressive. That's from the east side. In regards to the Western Conference, some aggressive teams... I know it's like when you look at down the Western Conference, you get the Lakers who uh, are just coming off of doing a great year. They just won the NBA title. The Clippers off a disappointing year, despite having Paul George and um, Kawhi Leonard. But honestly, I think they need to be a little bit aggressive in free agency regarding getting and maybe another third possible player that can really help them because they kind of just, they don't have that. You know what I mean? Like they're, the league is the damn is obviously mostly built of dynamic duos. It's not really more uh, instead of the super teams, like the, the three, the, the three top players you've seen a lot, but I still think that because of the issues that the Clippers are having with um, Paul George and the, the scoring issues, I think that possibly a third solid scoring option could be there. Um, I think that's in regards to those teams that need to, be, need to be more aggressive. The teams that really need to don't need to do anything, um, I'd say Miami Heat. Like, Miami Heat looked like they got a complete team. Uh, obviously, they didn't win, but uh, they came very close. And with a healthy team, it probably would have been a closer series. Now, granted as well, uh, I'm not going to make the excuses, injuries or injuries. But regardless, I think they don't need to do a lot. They don't need to be super aggressive. They can make like a slight, a few moves here and there. That's one team out of the East, I would say. Um, another team, I'd say maybe in the Western Conference, probably I'd say the Los Angeles Lakers. Like they seem to have a good groove with LeBron and AD. They got a good core around them uh, with Rajon Rondo. They got JaVel McGee. They seem to have a salt. Like they seem to have a solid team enough to win. Uh, I can still see them making solid, like some uh, some small moves. Uh, they might be going after Serge Ibaka. I've heard reports is that possibly the Lakers will be pursuing Serge Ibaka in free agency as a possibility. Not saying that's going to happen, but that would be interesting for him joining the Lakers. Um, and one trade that I think I would want to see happen, I don't know. I would love to see actually Devin Booker get traded to the Timberwolves because he is a really a really special player, and I don't think the Suns are the right franchise for him. They're, they're keeping him in his shell and he needs to be getting out of Phoenix to another team. 
possibly that could be uh, – there's been reports of him. I don't know. Like, I know Draymond Green was possibly a few months ago. He was like, oh, come to Golden State. Obviously, he was hit then with a tampering charge uh, because that's the way that the league is. But possibly going to the Timberwolves, but then that would means they would have to trade away the number one over pick, and that could be what they're going to do there and stuff. There's been a lot of circulation around that. So I think that's one trade that I would want to see happen. And also another dream trade that I want to – not in this free agency, but in the next free agency, is if we can somehow get Giannis to Toronto. I know it's a bit of a stretch, and I know that – I don't Giannis know if that's a like trade, a, but yeah. Yeah, it's a, that's not more of a trade than a signing. But regardless, it'd be something that I'd love to see happen for Toronto if we could get Giannis. But that's kind of my yeah. take on it. And uh, what fair. are your thoughts? As far as aggressiveness, I think uh, I agree the Bucks have to be aggressive. Uh, they need to build better around Giannis. And I think it's been interesting to see all the conflicting reports because I saw a report last week that was saying, oh, Giannis is preparing to sign a Mac, uh, max deal yeah. with the Heat at one point. And then a uh, report came out two days later that he was going to sign a max extension with the Bucks. And there's been so many different things. Uh, I even saw, I think Kendrick Perkins said he's going to go to the Warriors or something like that. Yeah, um, it was, it, yeah, it seems like a whole bunch of fake there's news. So many, <laughs> there's so many different reports right now. And the fact of the matter is it's nobody really knows. And I mean, I think the Bucks, if they want to have a great shot at getting him back, they need to build a better team around him. They need to build uh, better for the future, whether that's signing. Uh, well, I mean, they can't really do anything draft-wise, but they need to just build a better team around Giannis, and they need to build it fast because he's going to be out the door in a few, uh, if, if they don't. Uh, yeah. I think – I don't know if aggressive or don't need to do anything is the right term, but, like, I want – what I want the Raptors to do is just hold their ground. But, like, I want them to make their re-signings that they need to make re-signings on. I, need, I want them yeah. – number one priority has to be Van Vliet. If they can get Montrezl Harrell – great but i want i want to make sure lowry's back i want to make sure abaka's back uh well abaka depending on how much he wants we'd be willing to have back i don't know he's usually yeah, one he, to take an expensive contract definitely. we need fred van vliet back that is a guarantee 100%. and if they can get montrezl harrell that'd be nice there's a couple other people i might look at but overall i want to see them stand pat and i don't know if that's aggressive because they need to aggressively get their players back or if they don't need to do anything because they just need to run it back. And listen, I don't yeah, know. I, yeah, I would agree with that. I think that the Raptors sort of – I don't know if they get the term is more aggressive or just more just kind of just stand their ground. I think resigning players is kind of a big thing for a lot of teams, and I think the Raptors are one of those teams, and I think if they can resign those players, uh, it's going to be crucial to the team's success. Exactly, exactly. I think uh, I do think the Clippers need to be a bit more aggressive. Um, number one priority has to be re-signing Montrezl Harrell, even though I don't know if he wants to stay there. Uh, but it also has to be um, getting a better point guard, I think. I mean, eh, Patrick Beverly's decent, but he's more defensive side of the ball. You need a bit more of an offensive point guard to kind of offset that, or maybe an off- offensive shooting guard Yeah. Uh, to kind of offset that. I mean, I think – if the Thunder make the right moves, I think they could be a real player next season, uh, depending on what they do. Uh, and as far as teams that don't need to do anything, I think I think the Heat just overall are a complete team. They don't need to do much. Um, I think obviously make re-signings if they have to. I don't know who they would have to re-sign, but make sure they get that down. Uh, Lakers, I could see them making a few moves, but they don't have to do anything. Uh and honestly, I don't know if the Nuggets have to do much. I think yeah. the Nuggets are right there. They just missed out this year. I'm liking what they're doing. I think 
um, I mean, you got the defensive side of the ball. You got an outstanding defender in Gary Harris. You got outstanding scorers in uh, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. Honestly, if you could just add a, a, add a stalwart, I mean, M- Michael Porter Jr. is going to be better next year because he's mm-hmm. finally getting back into the action. If you could just add another uh, power forward or a solid bench player into that mix, I could see the Nuggets being really good next season. Um, as far as a trade that I would want to see happen, I mean, I, I – I proposed that Booker trade, uh, like the Booker for the number one overall pick trade a lot yeah. ago. And that <laughs> I, be, I do remember that. Yeah, that, that, was, that really, was good, yeah. That mm-hmm. would be really nice. But uh, as far as another trade, jeez. I honestly think the 76ers should move on from Ben Simmons at this point, personally. But mm-hmm. I don't know what they would get back for him. Um, and then I want to see, I want to see the jazz do something. Honestly, I think they've been uh, with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. They've been doing decent, but they, they're still missing some stuff. And I think whether that's adding another small forward in there, adding a uh, better point guard to kind of feed Donovan Mitchell more instead of a Mike Conley, I think that could work. Um, but I think they're a team I would like to see do, uh, do something trade-wise. I think they could even be a team uh, that's interested in Chris Paul if, uh, the Bucks don't swoop him up. So I think yeah. that's kind of what I would want to see from this free agency. But like I said in the beginning, uh, starting November 20th, when that first day is set, it is going to be a true frenzy and it is going to be a lot happening. And I am really excited for it. I think once the draft hits, there's going to be a lot of big trades there. And I think once the free agent, uh, once free agency starts, it's going to be, and I mean, every year after free agency the NBA is a whole different league every single year. And I think that's what makes the NBA so unique is players, teams uh, change pretty much every single year. Uh, you never see guys stick with the same team for very long. It's very rare that ha- that happens. So uh, mm. I, mean, I think it'll be fun, especially in such a shortened time period. And it'll be interesting to see how teams can kind of, maneuver their uh maneuver their money around because it is going to be a fast period of time and it's going to be um not a lot of money coming out of this because nba just spent a whole much a bunch of money on the bubble and lost a bunch of revenue from having no fans all righty that wraps up this segment of hot out of the oven regarding the nba and the uni- union announcing the start of free agency as november 20th moving on into our nfl week nine recap uh starting off the bills topped Sam's Seattle Seahawks yep. in a high-scoring thriller that we both watched. Uh, Sam, who is to blame for this Seahawks loss, and do you think the Bills have a good chance at winning the AFC East for the first well, time in forever? I, yeah, I didn't really, I wasn't really watching too much of the game, but I was following my phone. I was noticing as well, Russell Wilson didn't have a good game again. He threw two interceptions. He had a fumble. He was missing guys. Uh, There's clearly some miscommunication. The defense, the Bills' defense, was solid. Uh, they did force a fumble out of him. I think Russell Wilson is partly to blame, but I also think that Seahawks defense again was in a, was like it's been an issue all year. But I think evidently they just made some like they had seven sacks on the quarterback, which is you know a solid day. But I think they just gave up way too many yards um, for Josh Allen. Just he threw for he threw for over 400 yards passing, had four three touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. So I think they just. They were partly to blame, but I also think that Russell Wilson just – it's weird because it's like since that game against Arizona, he's been hes been streaky, you know. Like he was bad against Arizona, good against a bad team like San Francisco. But he plays a good team like Buffalo, he struggles. And it's like it's now I think we're starting to see that Russell Wilson is starting to struggle a bit against those top defenses. Oh, not top defenses, but just top teams. Like they dropped 34 points, but he threw two interceptions. If, those, if he didn't throw those two interceptions, that would have been one more touchdown – 
maybe two more touchdowns and we would have had a closer game. They might've still lost, but it would have been a bit of a better game. It wouldn't have been his fault. Like he would have been, it would have been more the defense's fault for not, not uh, uh, stopping enough. And I think he's partly to blame for the loss because of his effort. Uh, he did like the offense did put up 34 points. The defense did allow 44 points, but regardless, I think he is to blame. And I think the bills are going to win the AFC East. Like despite the Patriots, you know, beating the Jets last night, barely, uh, they're three and five. The only other team that I can really consider to be a threat is the Miami Dolphins, who are five and three. I believe have won the last five of their six games. Uh, yeah, as I'm, as I'm well, thinking. So they're they're keeping up on Buffalo. Not saying it's going to happen because Buffalo is now, I believe, seven and two on the year, and the Dolphins are five and three. So. so they're about two games back for them. They're two 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 and a half games back. So it's a possibility, but. Yeah, it was a tough loss to see, but I understand that now it's like Russell Wilson is starting to show that he, he seems to be struggling uh, in big games, and it's evident, which I don't like because I want him to do well in those big games, but it's it's tough to see, definitely. Yeah, I think, honestly, for me, uh, it wasn't as much on the Seahawks defense as you, uh, as you say it is, because watching that game... Uh, the, uh, I think the Bills, the Bills, I don't even, I think they had zero or maybe one turnover the entire game, but the Seahawks had like six or seven throughout the game. Like it was a bad game for the Seahawks offense. Can't, yeah. uh, not Cam Newton, Russell Wilson struggled and uh, it was really a tough game to watch for the Seahawks. I think, I mean, credit to the Bills, obviously the Bills yes. played, uh, the Bills played outstandingly in this game. Um, but I think Russell Wilson really kind of let, let his team down on this one. I mean, this the defense, yes, was bad, but it's because they had so many – every time the Bills forced a turnover, they went down and scored eventually, which was just capitalizing on the, uh, capitalizing on the Seahawks' errors and just forcing the Seahawks' defense to continually be out there. And yeah. it eventually just kind of wore them down and they weren't 100%. on top of their game and that ruined it for them. So I think, I think mainly it is on Russell Wilson, this loss, um, because he was the one that uh, caused a lot of those turnovers. Uh, and I think this, the defense really can't take a bit of the blame for being not uh, on top form, but at the same time, it wasn't really their fault. The offense couldn't get anything going and the defense just continually kept getting put out there after turnover, after turnover. As far as who's going to win the AFC East, I think the Bills, honestly, watching this game, I, I'm honestly a little bit, I have a little bit of my faith restored in the Bills, I think, which is a big step for me because I am noted for not having very much faith in the, faith in the Buffalo Bills. Um, I, they restored a bit of my faith. Their defense looked really solid. Uh, their offense looked pretty good. Honestly, Josh Allen still isn't my favorite quarterback, but he did look decent. He did look pretty good in this game. Their offense was clicking. And the Bills did restore a bit of faith for me. I think they have a really good chance of winning the AFC East this year. I think they are going to win the AFC East for the first time since 1990s, I think I saw, or something like that. Um, so it, it's going to be a good year for the Bills. Uh, they have restored a bit of my faith in them. Uh, and I think they will take the AFC East. And they, I mean, you got to give credit to them for this win. Not only did uh, the Seahawks not play great, but uh, the Bills just really did shine in this one. Moving on into our second game of the day on the night game of the Sunday night football. Uh, Saints, the New Orleans Saints absolutely destroyed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 38-3. to now, honestly, Tom Brady looked really bad in this game. I'm yeah. not going to lie. 
he looked really bad. But is he the sole reason they lost? In my opinion, yeah. I mean, their defense wasn't great, but come on, Brady, you got to be doing better than that. You're supposed to be leading this team. I mean, you got to get, got to get your offense more. You got to get your passers more involved. Because I mean, I saw, I was looking at the sheet and I saw like Gronk only had like one reception the entire game or something like that. Like, yeah, you got to get, you got to get these those guys more involved. And I know you had what is two or three ints in that game like brady that was not a good game for brady it was not on his uh, strong side strong side and i think honestly he was the sole reason they lost i mean the defense partially to blame for giving up 38 points but come on brady you gotta you gotta put up more than three points in that game and i I think this is kind of the same case with the seahawks is like yeah the seahawks put 34 points up which is surprising despite despite uh russell wilson throwing two interceptions but the thing with tom brady here is that he turned over the ball three times and when you turn over the ball three times, that allows the opponents to put up, let's say, 21 points off the turnovers. I'm not saying they did. I can't even check. We go back to look at the stat sheet to see how many points they scored off the turnovers. But regardless, let's say they did. That's 21 of their 18 of their 38 um, that they scored. So when you look at that, I think Tom Brady probably is the sole reason. Like, it's as well. Like, when you turn over the ball, you're putting the defense back out there and therefore makes your defense more tired. And when you have that same case, like the gun in the Seattle game, it's like you can't turn over the ball because then they put your defense back out. And with your defense back out constantly, it, it leads to just uh, uh, fatigue and it, it results in the team just running all over your defense and resulting in lots of points being scored, which, which happened with the Saints uh, between the Buccaneers and stuff. I think that's he – is, he is the sole reason. Yeah, the defense didn't play great, but when your, when your quarterback throws three interceptions and turns the ball three times, it doesn't really help you. It doesn't really help your case. Like, what are you going to do? Just stop them every time? Like, it's tough. They're the Saints. They, they had, he had all the weapons. Yeah. Drew Brees had all his weapons back. They were a fully healthy offense. They looked really good. Um, it was – we all knew, like, we, we, we both said coming into this week, it's a big game for them to win, and it was, because not only now the Bucks dropped a 6-3, and three, but the Saints move up to 6-2, and two, which means technically they have a higher win percentage than – And not only that, the Buccaneers look poor in this. Like, they didn't look like they were going to compete for the rest of the season. They didn't no. look strong in this one at all. And, I mean, honestly, this is going to be a bit of a, a bit of an overstatement, but – Honestly, I think if the Buccaneers played how they did last night against the New York Jets, I would have taken the Jets. Oh, I would 100%. have taken the Jets. Uh, 100%. The, if the, if the, the if, Buccaneers if, were yeah. so bad in that game. Yeah, that, that's how bad they were because when you look at it, it's like – and in my mind as well, I don't think that – and I've heard other analysts as well, uh, like one on ESPN saying, like, even after that loss, they're still like a top team. I was like, how are they a still serious contender? Like, they've had bad games, but – None of the top four teams in the NFC, that being the Packers, the Seahawks, the Saints, and the Buccaneers, have had a loss like this. Like, if you look at all the teams, if you all look at all the teams, um, the Packers, well, I guess the Packers had one against the Bucs, which was 38 to 10, which is a pretty bad beat, but I think that was a fluke, really. Uh, They've bounced back from that. But other than that, and it's interesting because like, as soon as the Buccaneers beat the Packers 38-10, to 10, everyone's like, okay, the Buccaneers are going to win. Tom Brady's the goal. Yeah. He's back. And then it's like now they just get thrashed by the Saints after the Saints. And the Saints as well beat them in week one. So now they have a they, – they, they've won the season series, and if it comes down to it, let's say a tiebreaker. Let, like, you know, let's say just miraculously the Buccaneers, you know, they, they might uh, – they might have a few more losses. They do have a tough schedule coming up. They could finish up 11 and five or 12 and four, but let's say they tie with the saints. The saints automatically have those two games holding over them 
which is big. And I think, I and I think that's, like, that's crucial. I saw something like a Brady team hasn't lost a season series ever or something or, like that. Or, or, or loss like that. It was like his first, his first like 35 plus loss or 30 point loss. In it like, was, there were so many, many different things that came Yeah, it was, it was really historic loss for Tom Brady because he's not expected to lose this bad with a team no. that he's expected to have. Obviously, the number of years that he was in New England, he never lost this bad. He's lost close games, but never something like this. And I think it's a what? true testament of that. Really, when a player like this has mis- has mistakes like that, three interceptions, it's really damning to the team uh, winning chances, and it's tough on them, really. Like, it's really tough. And the credit to the Saints, they played a really great game all around. They were good on the defensive side. They were good on offense. And, yeah, I think, I think it's a big win for the Saints. Big and, like, when is, the last, when, when is the last time we've seen Tom Brady only put up three points? Like – that, this, yeah. is, it, this was a shocking game for Tom Brady. No touchdowns. Uh, can only get a field goal out of field goal out of the deal. Like, I mean, the Saints did play a really good game, but come on, Brady, this is not this is not what the Buccaneers fans expect out of you. Honestly, it really damages for me their chances of being a contender. Like, this is yeah. a bad, bad loss. You can't let these types of thing happen. Types of thing happen. I don't care that you lost to the Saints. It's how you lost to the Saints. Brady only scored, uh, only was able to put up three points. You lost by 35. Your defense gave up 38. It was an all-around bad performance, and mainly Brady is at fault, but it also is a whole team effort. And honestly, it is it has tarnished their chances at being serious contenders in pretty much everyone's eyes, in my opinion. Uh, and honestly, I, I see the Saints as a much better candidate coming out of that division now than the Buccaneers will yeah. be going for. And I, and, I watched, and I was watching the game, I believe I was watching the game last night, and it was before the game, and they were saying I think the Packers have the highest chance at 25%, the Saints at second and like 23%, Seahawks at 19% in regards to winning the NFC. The Packers, yeah, obviously, are the top team right in the NFC, but if you look at really the NFC compared to the AFC, you look at some vastly different teams. And right now, honestly, the AFC is looking a little bit stronger than the NFC right now in regards to better teams. You got yeah. the 8-0 Steelers. You got the 8-1 uh, Kansas Chiefs. You got the 7-2 Buffalo Bills. They got some good teams, right? And I think in regards to compared to the NFC, for me, the Buccaneers are really just kind of not a serious contender. I guess they like, – it's tough to tell because, you know, you have one bad game and we all thought the Packers had a bad game and they were down and out, but yet they've sort of bounced back. They did lose to the Vikings in a, in a, in a game they really should have won, but regardless, they didn't. But I still think that the Bucks are, are a top contender, but I, I don't see them coming out of the NFC. I see the Seahawks, the Saints, or the uh, Packers all beating them easily, I think. Not easily, but just win. Well, after the Saints winning them, I think they could, they could easily make a case. They can easily beat the Buccaneers, but that's kind of my oh, take yeah. on that. All right, that wraps up our NFL Week 9 recap regarding the Bills topping the Seattle Seahawks in a high-scoring thriller and the Saints absolutely dominating Tom Brady and the Buccaneers 38-3. to Moving on into our last topic of the day, the MLB offseason, which has started out kind of slow so far but is going to be picking up very soon uh, for multiple different reports from like Jeff Passan, John Heyman, Chai Davidi. Uh, the Jays appear to be in on pretty much every free agent or trade piece right now because they are being they're planning to be very aggressive this offseason uh they're looking at uh all, all of the following but not limited to uh francisco lindor jackie bradley jr george springer Andrelton simmons trevor bauer dj lemayhew now sam 
uh, I'll kind of give my thoughts here uh, first here, but uh, on who the Jays should kind of prioritize because looking at their team, they have a solid third baseman slash first baseman, whichever he's going to play that, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You have a solid utility player in Kevin Biggio. You have three solid catchers between Danny Jansen and I'm going to put Alejandro Kirk above Reese McGuire at this point, because I think he's going to be a big piece next season. Uh, you have uh, Boba Shett, who's probably going to be your starting shortstop unless they can pick up another one because they've talked about that. So he might be playing, um, he might be playing uh, second base next season. We don't really know. And you have uh, a solid, solid outfield pieces in, in Teoscar Hernandez, probably going to stay in right field next season, Griel and left. And, I mean, you have Grich against Tanner, but apparently they've been looking at other center fielding options like George Springer and Jackie Badley Jr. Personally, I mean, they are options, and I think they, like, they would help us win. But personally, I don't see them as a priority for the Jays uh, just because they do have Grichik out there. I think um, Grichik isn't given enough credit as to what he could bring to this team. I think uh, he is sort of a captain for these players, and I see him as um, – sticking around for a while so I mean you could bring him uh you could bring in a Jackie Bradley Jr. or a Springer and then you have four really solid outfielders going forward um maybe you could DH one of them maybe they prefer having one DH a lot more instead of uh uh, like if they want Teoscar because Teoscar's defense can be iffy at times so they might want him as more of a DH type thing I could see them maybe doing that but um I don't think uh outfielding help is really a priority right now um and as far as shortstops go, they're looking at uh, guys like Andrelton Simmons, uh, Francisco Lindor, uh, second base option, and DJ LeMahieu. I think out of those three, I would love for them to get a DJ LeMahieu. I think he could be literally just second baseman for them, pop about the top of the order. Uh, you could have Kevin Biggio move around the diamond like he's always uh, like he always does, and he's just a solid utility player all around. You can't go wrong with Kevin Biggio uh, wherever you play him. And I think if you can get a guy like DJ LeMahieu, it's going to cost you a lot because – DJ is a very expensive player, and it might might not mean you can get a lot of the pitching help that you're going to need, which I'll get to in a second. But if you can get a guy like DJ LeMahieu for the right price, I'd love to have him on the team. I think that'd be a great second base option. I, uh, that'd be uh, that'd be set for the future, and I think as well, it'd be a great uh, top of the lineup guy that can just get on base, and then you bring up the Vladdy's, the Bichettes, the Teoscars, the real hammers of that order that could just drive him in twenty four seven. Uh, and as far as pitching goes, I think this is where we should kind of prioritize because um, there hasn't been too, too many uh, reports as links to the Jays and big name pitchers, but it seems Trevor Bauer does want to at least explore an option of coming to Toronto. He's talked about it numerous times, uh, hinted at it on his Twitter a bunch of different yeah. times. Uh, and I think that would be a really nice uh, pickup for the Jays. I think if you have a rotation next season, if you're looking at like, your, your top three starters as Hyunjin Ryu, Trevor Bauer, and, like, Nate Pearson slash Robbie Ray as fourth. Like, you, they have so many different guys the Jays could go to next season. Um, it sucks because I think uh, Matt Shoemaker is going to be the odd one out there, and I think they'll let him walk in free agency. As Although, uh, despite dealing with injuries, he has been a crucial part of this team for the past few seasons. Um I think uh, with Robbie Ray being your fifth starter, and I mean, if they can't get Trevor Bauer, maybe they uh, look to getting Taiwan Walker back for another season. I think, uh, and if, even if they get Trevor Bauer, I still think they can look at that because uh, I really liked the play of Taiwan Walker this season. Uh, and I think he'll be, he could be a really good piece if they can keep him. But I think right now the prioritization for the Jays is um, either a smaller bat that they can use as either a middle infielder 
or like maybe you get um, an, a fourth outfielder that's solid, but I mean, it's not absolutely necessary. But I think the number one prioritization should be looking at getting another top starter. If you can get another top starter or at least bring back Taiwan Walker and get somebody uh, mid-tier as well, I think you can, you'll look at a team that, uh, look at a Jays team that'll be really solid for uh, the next four or five years. And I think it would be a fun team to watch. I think it'd be an exciting young team. They're just getting, they're getting older and they're getting more exciting. They're getting more experience. I mean, Vladdy's still only 19, uh, 20, I think actually, which think of how long he's going to be on this team for. And he's finally coming into his own in the league and he's already put in work in this off season. He's lost 12, 12 pounds in the last week, 32 pounds since the end of the season. Like, he wants to be a part of this team. He wants to be an effective piece of this team for a long time. And I think he's going to be a really big, uh, really big solid player for the Jays next season. And I'm excited for what he can put up number numbers wise. But I think as far as prioritization in free agency, it has to be looking at getting a pitcher, whether that is Trevor Bauer, whether, whether that is getting Taiwan Walker back or whether that is going out and getting another guy. And I think, Bullpen help could be necessary, like maybe just one or two small pieces here and there to make up for the loss of Ken Giles. But I still think this Jays bullpen is going to be really good as well going forward. Yeah, I would agree. I think for the Jays, honestly, the thing that they mostly need to prioritize would be pitching. Yeah, so either that's picking up Trevor Bauer or re-signing Taiwan Walker. And I think having a good rotation like that as well, like if you're in Rio, Trevor Bauer in your lineup would be crucial. Possibly getting Francisco Lindor could be good, or DJ LeMahieu as well. But I think when you look at down the line, like they do, I'm trying who they have currently right now at second base or short because they they have Bobichette right now. Uh, Bobichette would be their shortstop for right now. For yeah. The future. Kevin Biggio is their mainstay at second base. They switched in like Joe Panic. Jonathan VR was there at the end of the season just because they made that trade. Um, and Biggio kind of moved around the diamond. But I think Kevin Biggio right now, considering I think they're going to let VR walk in free agency, which is what I would do, uh, I think Biggio right now is their number one option at second base. Yeah, so when you when you look at that, and then maybe you don't have to necessarily prioritize a guy like Francisco Lindor if you want to go after like a Trevor Bauer because it's highly unlikely they're going to get both. Yeah. So if you're going to try to prioritize one guy, it'd definitely be Trevor Bauer in my mind because the pitching help is – like pitching in the MLB is always in demand in regards, in regards to having a solid starter, oh, a second yeah. starter. Can never have to have, yeah, you never have too much pitchers. Because you've got certain teams like the Tampa Bay Rays or the um, Los Angeles Dodgers. They have a number of key aces that they can go to. That'd be Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, uh, another couple other players as well. So when you look at those, you know, World Series winning teams, uh, along with other the Rays, um, I think getting a player like Trevor Bauer should be a prioritization for the Jays. I think I think so 100%. And I mean, if you can get a guy like Francisco Lindor, I mean, go for it. Uh, He'd be a guy that you'd have to trade for. It might mean giving up uh, the future in Austin Martin if you want to win now. But, I mean, really depends on what the Indians are looking for. Uh, Really depends on what pricing-wise would be. But if you can get a guy like that, go for it. But I think the Jays truly do believe in their core, uh, uh, their young core. And I think pitching right now would have to be their number one prioritization. And I think – also, a number one prioritization should be re-signing Ross Atkins because yeah. he should be – we need to get him back. But um, I, I think his deal is done at the end of this coming season, so we'll work on that. But yeah. that wraps up our discussion uh, regarding the MLB offseason. And 
uh, the Jays looking at pretty much every single free agent or trade piece in their plans for a very aggressive offseason, which I am very excited for. That wraps up this episode of season two of On the Rise Podcast. You should check out our Instagram, at Rise Podcast. Listen in on midtownradio.ca. Check out Jake and Liam's podcast, Tech Files, and visit our website, ontherisepodcast.ca. We'll see you on Saturday.